This is So What Does Judaism Say About? Where we discuss all kinds of interesting topics and how they relate to Judaism. I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me always is the delightful Rabbi Mayer Beer. Today we're going to talk about, so, what does Judaism say about why people just live, some people live some really miserable, just awful existences, just miserable lives? Why is that, Mayer? <laughs> it's a tough question. And I'm not talking about the choices they make. I don't mean that they make bad choices. Why are some people born into abject poverty? And this They're making all the right choices. Yeah, but, but, but let's get it clear, right? I, and we can even talk about, we can open it up to non-Jewish people as well. There's an entire continent called Africa that is just miserable. It's a miserable place, right? Some people have diseases. Some people are born poor. Some are born wealthy. Some are born smart. Some people are born absolute idiots. It has nothing to, it's not, I, don't mean, I don't mean any harm. That's how it came out. The whole continent of Africa being in that situation is very painful. Sure. But, you I mean, know, what is we the, can get a little bit more specific. What is the GDP of the average person? GDP per capita of the average person in Africa. It might be a tenth of what it is in North America. I, I think it's less than it it it's be, less. I think it's like a hundredth. Right. And, and are these people objectively bad people? Are they making worse decisions than people in North America? That so would be not. pretty ridiculous. And yet they do not have the same quality of life objectively, that people in North America do. There's some very successful ones, of course, but by and large, when you look at the averages... And since we believe in God, we're asking, why would God set it up like that? Why are there people that are just born into difficult circumstances? There are errors in the world which are just seemingly, seem to be more difficult than other errors. Oh, I like that point, meaning you and I were not born in Hungary in 1926, thank God. We were born in North, North America in America in the 80s. Yeah, we weren't born in the Soviet Union in the 20s, 30s, or 40s. Right. Stalin was the boss. And right. 25 or so percent of the population was murdered. Forced famines that killed millions of people. Yeah, Police what's states. With the, what's with the forced famines? I, what the heck? Yeah, it, it's just people are born into really miserable situations. You know how many civilians were killed in World War II? Uh, should I just guess? Just tell me. I, I think the estimates are about 60 million. Wow. Which is... Which is mind-boggling. That might be uh, that might include um, like a military uh, casualties as well, but it's just like and you know you live in the United States in in the 1990s and everything is just great. Everything was great in the 1990s yeah. in America, by the way. Besides for those Jinko pants, you remember those that were like two feet wide on the bottom? Hammer pants. Yeah, there's a brand called Jinko, J N C O, but everyone calls them hammer pants. They're hammer pants. Yeah, okay. Because they're popularized by MC Hammer. Yeah, it's hammer time. So now that we've lightened everything up, let's take a look at what let's the Torah quote, says. Let's about. quote some sources. Okay. So I, I just like to, to kind of introduce that when, when we talk about this, we're like in our comfortable little room. We're getting a little academic about this. I, I, I hope not to put down anybody's personal suffering or make it sound like I'm talking down to them. You know, like if, if people are actually going through a difficult time and I'm like, well, source A, B, and C suggest... You know, I, so I hope I'm not giving that impression. Right. So, 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 so the idea here is, of course, there's a time to be a surgeon and there's a time to be by the bedside and have, you know, have proper bedside manner. We're going surgical right now. We're going 30,000 feet. We're saying, okay, we're turning off our hearts for a second, not because we're cruel, because we want to understand intellectually why God would set it up like this. And we just mean to be a surgeon. You don't want your brain surgeon and, and by the way, my father had brain surgery. I remember meeting the brain surgeon and there was a, you don't want that guy to be emotional. You want that guy 
in the room making the right cut. So right now we're going to make the cut. We're going to we're going to be very logical and we're going to go up 30,000 feet and it's not the time to be overly emotive about this, but it doesn't mean that we're putting anybody down. Got it. Yeah, okay, great. So we'll quote one idea. You know, we find in the beginning of the Torah in the in the beginning of Genesis where Adam after he sins is then cursed or told by God that he's going to have to have a difficult time earning a livelihood, which is really changing the course of humanity. So it seems that the ideal state of humanity pre-Adamson is that people would not have struggled financially. And according to Jewish tradition, in the era of the Messiah, Nachmanides writes, this will be an era in which people won't have to suffer financially either. So it seems that the ideal state of the world is not in which people have difficulties. People will have an easier time doing, uh, you know, finding the right things, the, you know, the, the choices they want to make. They won't have to struggle with these constant headaches of livelihood. We find that the Torah's blessings both in the end of Leviticus and towards the end of, uh, of Devarim, of Deuteronomy, are blessings of financial success. So the Jewish people do the right thing. They're just given like an easy time. Like you don't have to worry. You don't have to be busy, you know, sweating 18 hours a day just to feed your kids. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat. And does, does the financial success coincide then also with health, like good health as well? Yeah, I, I would, you know, and also external difficulties, sicknesses. So it's connected. Wild animals that are harmful if you're living in that kind of era or in that kind of environment. It's, it's wild to think about that. I know we haven't quoted a source yet, but it's wild to think about people had, you, you got to be careful. They were wild animals. Well, like, what are you talking about? The squirrels? Like, you know, yeah. bears keep food locked up. Those are some smart bears. You know, that's our experience, that's our experience with, with these animals. It's amazing. And our glamping trips. Yes. <laughs> with a moonroof. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, uh, I'm going to quote a source of the Talmud in Tractate Horios, uh, page 10b writes that the, the one opinion of the Talmud says that righteous people that have a good in this world are, are like really losing their share of the world to come because they're getting rewarded in this world. And like a righteous person should suffer in this world and only have a good in the next world. And Rava responds to that. Um, Rava, the leading sage at the time. Yeah, of, of, of his era. He's like, you know, is there a reason to hate someone that enjoys both worlds? Meaning the ideal is to enjoy both worlds, theoretically. And yet we find that there are good people making good decisions who just struggle. So we're not saying that this is the ideal. And we're not saying that, that every person who's successful, you know, is getting his his mitzvah reward in the form of financial payouts instead of... His (laughs) druthers. That's a great archaic word to pull up. (laughs) So, you know, in in the... Once again, I think we mentioned this, like the programming of the world, so to speak. Right. You know, how everything operates. This becomes something which, to put the calculation on an individual, is really not nice. We can't understand why any one person goes through these. We're trying to understand from a macro cosmic perspective why these exist on. exactly. Precisely, right? So, so the um, I liken it to the weather. So the the computers that aren't that sophisticated can predict weather within like a fifty or hundred mile range. The really sophisticated weather programs can get down to a specific square mile. Right. So we're not doing that. We're not getting down to the square mile. So the the um, the Lotsato, the Ramchal writes. In that there's a number of factors in the world. There are those that suffer because of punishment. There are those that suffer not because of punishment, but because by struggling, that is how one develops. Many personalities will only discover their true inner strengths when they undergo periods of suffering. The Talmud writes that for many people, being poor is in fact a blessing because they would be so distracted by wealth 
that they would not have the focus to actually develop values. Now, there are people that develop values while they're wealthy. There are people that don't develop values while they're poor. So we're not saying there's a right or wrong, but within the factors of the world, there are numerous different considerations put into put into the world that we know it. And that framework of really it's set up as a way for us to be successful. Um, success needs to be defined as refining oneself, spiritual attainment, spiritual. If you hold that those things are not valuable, then certainly this looks like a really bad system. But so long as you can, we can understand that a person should develop, become more mature, become somebody of value, of an essence that really radiates and lightens up a room. So then there's, there's a reason that it might be bad for a certain personality type to have wealth or a certain personality type to have, to have power. Poverty. And then, of course, if they if they fail to develop in those situations, now we're getting to the realm of free choice, which is not today's discussion. All right. So the, you, this is really well said, the way you're putting it. I'm going to give another two or three factors to add to the formula. Number one, we had, we have discussed this once. People can affect other people. If one person focuses his life excessively so, perhaps, on making money, he may leave over large amounts of money to his kids. His children can have a slightly altered, you know, kind of environment that they live in based on their parents' decision. And that doesn't mean that they don't have choices to make, but the location of the choices on the graph of humanity can be shifted by other people. Sure, sure. But let me ask you this. Why is Africa all messed up? So that I can't answer. That's already getting to square miles. While those people have to suffer and we can have it easier, are questions which are you know not something we're necessarily going to answer, but perhaps their role to some extent, and, and I really don't want to like go into people because... I just feel that's insensitive. There are those that suffer. And this is another point that some people who suffer teach other people lessons. And we'll talk about this more in a second. They're a model for us, what we'll call more financially successful people to learn values because they're not obsessed with wealth. And look, they have family and they value family. The Talmud writes in Tracting Moed Katan that poor people often have a better connection with their young children than wealthy people do because they lack distractions. So we have all these like interesting factors that go into you know, what makes people, what makes people's, you know, environments or the, the place that God puts them in. Other factors include the idea that we have certain righteous people who will become, as we mentioned, examples for, for other members of, of the human race. There are people which, so to speak, carry the weight of suffering that the world needs to have, which is a similar idea in the sense that there are people who are going to be examples of how far the human spirit can go. It's, it's an amazing thing to, to think about how far the human spirit can go. And by the way, who says they're miserable? Obviously, we opened up by saying, you know, people live miserable lives. That's talking about objectively. But subjectively, how do we know? Right. You know, here's a list of the, 20, of the 20 happiest countries in the world. We're starting off with Finland, then Denmark, then Iceland, Switzerland. So something's going on in Scandinavia. I thought cold weather is depressing. <laughs> The Netherlands, first of all, we don't know what, what determines it. Luxembourg, Sweden, Norway, Israel coming in at number nine. Not an easy place to live, by the way. Is it not, not an easy place to live? New Zealand, Australia, Austria, Australia, Ireland, Germany, Canada. Then the United States comes in at 16. Now, I think what, what bothers America and the reason Americans aren't more happy is because they, they, they say things like, why are we number 16? But we see here that it's not necessarily a, a cut and dry formula of what we call miserable versus happy. And it would obviously would work per square mile also. We don't know that a poor person is unhappy or miserable. We're asserting that based on, oh my God, if that happened to me, it would be, but it didn't happen to you. 
It didn't happen to you. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I've, I went through a very personal tragedy. My father left me at 30 years old. He died from brain cancer. It was a very, very challenging time. And he suffered tremendously from that. But he was not a miserable person through that. And neither was I. And yet, objectively, that was a very miserable time. That's, that's a, a very insightful point. I, can I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a uh, source, which I think really brings this point home. The Talmud describes something called Yisurin. Yisurin means people who suffer. And the Talmud says there are a certain, there's a category of Yisurin, of these sufferings, which are called Yisurin Shalahava, meaning they're not punishments. They're difficulties that people undergo, at, at a, which is, I guess we'll say, an act of love of God. So if a person wants their child to learn how to swim, they might have them struggle in the pool for a little bit. Not because one is punishing the child, but because through the suffering, that child now learns a new skill. The Talmud writes that if a person can maintain their Torah study or their prayer, which are just examples of a person's spiritual and emotional development, through their suffering, so that is an indication often that that suffering is not there as a punishment. And I think if I may go on a... You know, share my own thought. I think it really depends how people will accept that yisurin, those punishments. If they continue to develop, they've they, what they've done is instead of being like what we'll call "quote unquote" a punishment, but it's really just a it's just a, a development stage. So, it, it, if if I'm understanding this point, it's it's about framework and redefining what we call important, what we call good, what we call the purpose of life. Without those pieces of information, without that belief system, we do kind of get stuck. So we are going to have to try and understand what does it mean to be close to God? What does it mean to develop a personality? What does it mean to grow? Why, do, why, why would I want it to be that way? Make it easier. I mean, it, these things become very interesting and very esoteric. But if I can just take your point to a slightly different direction, getting back to your Africa point— what you'll have now is if we're going to put in, as you mentioned with your list, other factors other than money into what is a meaningful human life, value, spirituality, you've become much more, much more democratic because you haven't just if, – if one, if one defines uh, success in, in you know, human achievement as financial, you're writing off the entire – you're writing off huge areas of the globe. Right. There are poor areas of the globe and you're just like saying those people are second rate. Right, but if you say that there's more to human development than just money, but there's also values and growth and development, you're now suggesting that those people may be just as advanced human beings as wealthy people are. So you're really being much more democratic in that sense. That is a fascinating point. Meaning, it, it, it levels the playing field in a way that enables everybody to sort of grow in their own way. And it also, by the way, gives us, again, back to free choice. If everybody was, if it was just happy, clappy dancing, all you know, and you would be very limited in the ability to grow through those things. Right. So we have, I'm going to share one more source, which I hopefully will tie some of these ideas together. This is a conversation. This will prove once and for all why people live miserable lives. Yeah, well, we're trying. We're trying. <laughs> this is a passage from the Talmud. In Tracte Bava Basra, 10a, the Talmud writes, uh, the, the Talmud mentions a conversation between Tunis Rupus, who was a Roman general, and Rabbi Akiva, the, fa the famous uh, sage Rabbi Akiva. And Tunis Rupus asks Rabbi Akiva, I think his name, at least in the English, is spelled Tyrannus Rufus, but Tunis Rupus is how the Gemara writes it, that if your God is a lover of the poor, why doesn't he feed them himself? Like, it would seem 
Tenesrupas asks Ruby Akiva from the fact that people are poor, they're supposed to be poor. Because if God didn't want them to be poor, he wouldn't have made them poor. So why should you give them charity? I think that's a fantastic question from Tremor's perspective. Yeah, solid question. So Rabbi Akiva says, you know, the fact that we can give them charity saves us from, from punishment. It makes us sensitive. Tudor Super says, the contrary is true. If you had a, a, a king and he punished one of his servants, and once again, he's making, he's making an assumption that this is a form of punishment, obviously. Uh, by saying that you're not gonna, you're not allowed to, you know, have any. You have to live in, in in some poor area of town. You can't have any 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 money as a punishment. And then you'd go and give that person money, essentially disobeying what the king wants. You'd be liable for punishment yourself. So Rabbi Kiva says, uh, 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 first of all, a, a, a great attempted knockout by Turnus and Rufus. The guy is not a he's not, no, your not a fool. Show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and not and not only should you leave him alone, but if you go ahead and give them money, you're disobeying the king because he per- he's perfectly capable of giving them money. Right. He punished them. I, I like that point. He is assuming it's a punishment. Wait, so you're pro Turnus Rufus? <laughs> <laughs> Just want to see which team you're I on. I do want to do the exercise of understanding Turnus Rufus's no, perspective. No, it, it, it's a logical point. Right. It's an excellent point. Uh, and I agree with you. Turnus Rufus is making He's not making a foolish claim. What's your Bikiva's response? He says, you have the wrong understanding. He said, if you have a child, and for whatever reason, the parents tells the child that today you can't have food. You have to suffer. And then somebody would go and give the child food, the parent would actually be happy. Now, decoding what that statement means, I think, is the following. We don't assume that poor people are poor because they're getting punished, right? The way a king would view one of his subjects. It's more of... God is a father to humanity, loves humanity, but for whatever reason, it is necessary or it is better for some people to undergo certain struggles. By you doing your best to mitigate those struggles, you're not, you're not going against the real will of God. God doesn't want people to suffer. But God wants this system in place in which people will be forced, quote-unquote, to take charity. And by being forced to put in that position, it will allow them certain development. It will allow them certain insight. It will allow them to gain certain value. And will also allow the wealthy people, hopefully, to become more sensitive by caring about the plight of these people. So by doing all that, what we're really having is this like network of humanity who has to care for each other. And through that caring, they actually develop. So this is like the, you know, the, the parent who sends his kid on a, on a hiking course to learn how to become tough because the kid is very fragile. And even though it's a struggle for this kid, going through this course helps the child out. It helps the poor. It helps the wealthy. The fact that there are poor people forces wealthy people to become more sensitive. How can you ignore a person who doesn't have food to eat? Right. And the poor person has to realize that not everything is under his control. Right. So by having this system in place and why some people get to play the rich part and some people get to play the poor part, I can't tell you. We don't know. We don't know. But what's clear also here is that this, again, is why... setups like communism really go against this whole setup of how we need to grow and develop. There's no such thing as it's not fair. It's we have to really, as humanity, challenge ourselves to be more sensitive and and, and really people that have means. And, and I, I will throw the, the, the vast majority of Jewish Americans into the have category, certainly when you look at it globally. And we are living better better than the French kings of the 1700s, of the 1800s, we we are living better than the Habsburgs. You mean indoor plumbing? Yeah, and 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 more than that, you know, the choices that Jewish people had to make over the last thousand years, 
you know, where the Cossacks were coming over the border, hack off your arms while, you know, while, 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 while they raped your, your, your daughters in front of you. That stuff happened. And it was like, okay, am I going to like still believe in God? Today, it's like our choice is like, am I going to make myself nauseous like three pieces of pizza or am I going to have like four hamburgers? Is that, my, is that how I'm going to make myself nauseous? You know, if we were to be sensitive ourselves and wake up and recognize that we have it really good, that will hopefully motivate us to be sensitive, have that hidden attribute of gratitude that makes our lives so meaningful, and also wake up to begin to help other people realize their goals as well. It's a tremendous challenge. Yeah, well, well, well said. I, I just want to take this point and like kind of flip it around a little. Which point are we flipping? The point at? you just made that like we're like living in this happy era and we should recognize how much suffering has gone on. I'm not really flipping it, but I think I'm taking your point and, and giving a new angle to it. And that is the following. The Talmud writes um, in differentiating between the two Talmuds. So there are two Talmuds. One is not very well known. It's called the Jerusalem Talmud, Talmud Yerushalmi. And we have the Babylonian Talmud, which is the typical Talmud that everyone studies. The, the Talmud Bavli actually describes itself as being that it was like created in darkness because Babylonia, where it was written, was a place that didn't have as much overt spirituality. And it was a struggle to put together a Talmud in an environment which didn't have that much obvious spirituality. Israel was a Jewish state and there was a certain you know, openness to spirituality, whereas Babylonia wasn't. So in a similar vein, while we might have it easier when it comes to physical you know, struggles, and we don't have to worry about health as much and about poverty as much. But on the other hand, our spirituality, our, our, our kind of being pushed into recognizing a need for spirituality might be a little harder. So that might be our struggle. Right. And I don't think that flips it on its head at all. I think that's exactly the point. We, we have to wake up because, it, because in the lap of luxury, it is so difficult to feel sensitive to our own spiritual apathy all the more so our friends and neighbors. Yeah, exactly. So there was a, my father had a teacher uh, in yeshiva, this is in the 70s, who was, you know, European born. So at the time there was a fast food chain called Howard Johnson. And they had some sort of 27 flavors of ice cream. That was one of their like selling features. And this teacher of my father used to say, is like, you Americans are so busy with the 27 flavors of ice cream that you don't know what it means to need to develop intellectually because you have so many distractions. It's like in Europe, you know, he was, we went to yeshiva in pre-World War II Europe. Like we, like, we had nothing. So, of course, we were going to think and, and, and contemplate and have ideas. I know. I love it when my kids are bored. They're going to be like, Dad, I'm bored. I'm like, thank God you're bored. Let's get to exactly. work. Yeah. But I hope this has given us, personally for myself, given us a little bit of insight. But, you know, we can all certainly grow and all certainly be more sensitive, understanding, you know, what's going on. And from a, from a large perspective, why there's a system of what looks like misery. You know, but really, we just want to develop. Well said. Well said. 